Where do you start when you've never created a video ad before or scaled your existing video production? You start with QuickFrame by Mountain. Their platform takes the efficiency and diversity of massive creator marketplaces and redefines it through a highly curated network of video creators with the expertise you need to bring your ad campaigns to life. From onboarding and production to final delivery, QuickFrame's dedicated customer success team will be there every step of the way, keeping your project on track and on budget. What CMO doesn't love to hear that? Visit QuickFrame.com and get started today. On this special episode of AW360, I speak with Dr. Philip Regeer, University Dean of Educational Initiatives and CEO of EdPlus at ASU, and John Farrar, Industry Director of Education at Google. The three of us discuss how technology is transforming the higher education landscape by increasing access to education globally. I hope you enjoy this special episode. Phil and John, welcome to the show. Let's dive right in. Phil, let's start with you. Tell us a little about yourself and Arizona State University's EdPlus program. What makes ASU and EdPlus so unique? You bet. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for the question. Um, first off, Arizona State University uh, for the past 20 or 22 years has pursued a mission to be a different type of American university. We refer to it as either a new American university or a national service university. And the overall idea is that we have a charter that requires us uh, to do three things. One is provide access at the highest possible level. Uh, the second thing is to do research that is of public value. And then the third thing is to assume fundamental responsibility for the overall health of our communities. And, and uh, that, that, you know, everybody has mission statements, but at the university, we really try and and live by that particular mission statement, by that particular charter. Ed Plus is really focused on the access mission of the charter. And what we mean by access is uh, providing access to the widest population of uh, potential students, uh, providing egalitarian access of the type that a uh, place like Berkeley, uh, University of California in general provided in the early 1950s when they said, if you have uh, achieved these particular courses in high school, these 16 or 18 college preparatory courses in high school, uh, and you got A's and B's in those courses, you're automatically admitted to the university. And at the time, of course, also there was no tuition. Uh, we don't have no tuition, but we still have roughly the same admission requirements that Berkeley had in 1950. You get A's and B's in a set of college preparatory courses, and we admit you to the university, no questions asked. The important role that Ed Plus has played is in expanding that access mission, not just to on-campus students, but particularly to online students. Uh, there are currently about 40 million Americans who have some university degree. Uh, I'm sorry, some university credit, but no degree. And that is the market that we are reaching out to. Those are the students that uh, life intervened. Uh, they had children in the middle of their college career. Their parents had a stroke. They had to go back and uh, assist their brother uh, or their sister in some important endeavor. And they got off the normal university track. 
Uh, and once you get off the track in American universities, it's very hard to get back on. And so our what we've tried to do is develop programs at ASU that have exactly the same learning outcomes, exactly the same degrees, uh, provide a very wide set of opportunities for those particular students. We currently have over uh, 300 degree programs that online students can take and access. And if you get a degree from ASU through the online modality, it says you got a degree from ASU uh, because the requirements are the same, the faculty are the same, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's the same degree, the same faculty, the same learning outcomes as you'd get in an on-campus setting. And Ed Plus is the unit at the university that supports the creation and application of the digital education technologies that make all of that possible. Clear? Very. Thank you for that. And John, as industry director of education at Google, Tell us a little bit about what your responsibility, what your responsibilities are, what your role is, and how you work with organizations like ASU. Sure. Thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, so education is, is defined by Google. Our team uh, works with really the largest university systems, um, public, private, throughout the country, as well as the largest education technology players, which makes things pretty exciting. Our team's responsible for media, but we're also the front door to what I would call the entire Google education ecosystem from a product standpoint. So if listeners are familiar with Grow with Google or Google Class, Google Classroom, Cloud for Education, um, all of those entities, YouTube Learning, it's really our responsibility to bring the best parts of Google to all of our university partners, um, ASU being one of them, where we're trying to work across everything to enable the vision that that Phil just talked about. ASU clearly uh, an innovator on so many different fronts. Um, and we see ourselves as a key element to kind of liberating and making accessible um, the different offerings that, that Phil was talking about. Um, the exciting part about working with ASU, and, and Phil just mentioned it, um, all corners of the university are, are sun devils. They don't, they, don't, uh, they don't mince, right? And I think we're moving to a place where Students need as much access as possible and in different forms. And I think the good news is that technology is kind of here to help meet that challenge. Uh, and so in working with ASU, it's been fun to help in some small ways enable the greater vision of, of that. And I think in, in no uncertain terms, we're kind of unified in how we see the space in that regard. So it's an exciting time uh, to be working with partners like ASU. It sounds like it. You know, Phil, anything you'd like to add from your side about how you and ASU work with Google? Absolutely. Uh, j just a couple of points I'd make in addition. You know, uh, for hundreds of years, the primary enabling technology that allowed universities to scale and grow was the printing press. Uh, guess what? All of that has changed over the past 30 years. Uh, and the new enabling technologies uh, are, you know, that, that universities have to take advantage of are often in the hands of uh, partners like uh, Google. Um, the, the society uh, views Google in a particular way, and we need to access all of the power and all of the skills of people at Google in order for us to achieve our mission of providing, um, it, 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 of, of really transforming society uh, in a very important way. Uh, education and the way people receive education has changed. Universities have been slow uh, to adapt to that new reality. 
uh, but certainly partnership with companies like Google is absolutely foundational to what we have to do as universities to uh, not and not enter irrelevance over the next 20 or 30 years. Phil, also on that note, you know, we're in an ever-increasing digital age. Tell us a bit about how potential students then would access ASU and, and why your partnership with Google is necessary to guide students to your program. Yes, of course, of course. I'm going to age myself by explaining how <laughs> people uh, figured out what universities to go to when I was in high school. And the way they did it is they went and they bought a book and it was a big, thick book and it was a college guide and it started at A and it ended at, at Z and you could find every university in the country at that particular college guide. That's not how students figure out what university to go to anymore. They go to Google <laughs> and they go and they look up resources on Google. They ask questions about the quality of programs. They go to the Department of Education website to access information about universities. You might go to a place like U.S. News and World Report and search the rankings and other things. But the point is they're searching on Google to figure out what universities to go to. And that's true both for high school students and for um, uh, transfer students. You know, uh, at, at ASU Online, out of the roughly 45,000 new students that we're going to uh, enroll this year, the vast majority of those are transfer students, students who have some college credit, uh, but have not yet succeeded in getting a degree. And they're searching for the place that can give them the degree. And so very close partnership with the biggest search engine in the world is absolutely foundational and fundamental to our success in being able to reach out to students and provide the access that our charter requires. And John, on top of that, can you cite some examples beyond the obvious? You know, we, we all know who Google is and, and what they do, but I, I think very few of us really know just how deep Google's offerings go. Can you give some examples of how Google has not only helped direct students to ASU's offerings, but helped ASU create a better education product for their students? Yeah, well, um, as Phil mentioned, like, we see our role is to more than anything highlight what's out there as much as um, as much as anything else right our tools are meant to surface hopefully the best solutions to um, in this case student inquiries on what they're trying to do with their education uh, or whether where they're trying to go with their career right and so what i think our tools do best is highlight some of the offerings that in this case uh, asu is is making available and so that is our, our primary goal. Um, and so one, one of the things that we try to do is, again, enable the vision of, of universities. Uh, I think a great example of that is, is ASU's you know, study hall concept on, uh, on YouTube. Um, it was really ASU's concept enabled and hosted uh, uh, by YouTube. It's, if you're not familiar with study hall, it's a it's really a fascinating tool, series of videos that provide engaging narratives that resonate with viewers. They're about 15 minutes on average, um, live action, photographs, animation. There are charismatic and personable hosts that do a lot of that. Um, they're posted on ASU's YouTube channel and featured on, on, on the Crash Course channel as well. Um, but these, these videos are getting tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of views, um, which kind of, we're, um, swings back to there's demand out there uh, from students and, and in many ways need to be led. Our role is really just to highlight the availability 
of some of these tools that ASU and others are, are producing from a content standpoint. So I say that as an example, and I'm sure Phil has more to say about study hall, but that's how we see our role from a, a tech provider standpoint in this education realm where so many new things are coming at students and it's really our role to highlight what's out there and try to direct these students based on their needs um, to the best possible solutions and providers. Excellent. And Phil, I'm going to go ahead and um, age myself a little bit here, you know, just, just as, as you did earlier. I, I remember the, the book you speak of, we would all kind of revert to the book because even though we had a computer that would tell us of the offerings, the computer was so slow and out of date all the time that we all just diverted to the book anyway. Um, but, you know, technology's come a long way. It, it, you know, it just goes without saying. How do you see technology helping you innovate higher education as the years have gone by? So uh, again, a, a great question, uh, and, and I'd say uh, several things. First off, different technologies obviously do different things. One of the things that we're very uh, focused on, and we have been for the past 10 years, is use of adaptive learning. And I just say adaptive learning is uh, branching into or morphing into machine learning. Uh, but there's no reason, and, and what that has helped us do going back 10 years, is help us achieve greater success with introductory courses at the lower division level. So when you think back, uh, you know, every student has to take, or many students take a set of basic courses, uh, psychology 101, uh, uh, college algebra, or pre-calculus or calculus, uh, biology, history, English composition, economics, macro and microeconomics, and what we noticed and what we knew 10 years ago and 12 years ago was that often those courses, the, the students that we need to succeed with the most, if we're going to not just provide egalitarian access, but egalitarian success in graduation, the students that we had to succeed with the most were having the most difficulty with those courses. And so we began working with a set of adaptive learning companies, and there were many of them in the educational technology space. Uh, to improve those courses. And the idea was never to replace the faculty. Instead, it was to provide the faculty with a new and powerful tool to make students more successful. With dashboards, for example, telling the faculty which students needed the most help uh, so that the faculty member wouldn't do what historically we've always done in face-to-face -face classes, which is teach to the middle of the class, teach to the middle of the curve so that the really advanced students are bored and the really uh, students who need the most help are just lost. And so adaptive technologies provide the right content to the right student at the right time. And they have helped us achieve great gains in some of those foundational courses. Another thing I'd say that we're doing right now in terms of technology, and again, we are at the very early stages of this, is we are experimenting very heavily and very strongly uh, with immersive learning technologies. Um, uh, we have developed uh, an entire biology curriculum now uh, where we had 4,000 students this semester taking uh, their biology labs and experiencing modules in a, uh, an, an XR alien zoo. Uh, so the students went to pods, they put on headsets and backpacks, they experienced the alien zoo in this unbelievable dimensionality in 3D, and you know, you're actually interacting with the animals, you are 
you, you, you are moving your avatar around. And the idea here is to create something, you know, the way we've taught biology for hundreds of years has been that we taught as though every student in the room wanted to be a professor. And every student in the room is not wired the same way as the professor's wired. And some students uh, engage much more emotionally with material. And if you can engage them in that way, you can achieve incredible new successes in terms of their advancement and their interest, for example, in pursuing and becoming a biologist. And so in research that we did, uh, we did a control group, we did an A-B test last year where we had a control group and an experimental group. And every, uh, every tranche of students did better uh, in the um, immersive biology course. And the most dramatic increase was for underrepresented mi minority students who improved their average grade by as much as 42%. And so we have uh, great, and, and so again, we are at the absolute tip of the iceberg of understanding what we can do. This is still a very, very new technology. It's very expensive, but we have high hopes for it going forward. And then I won't even talk about or get into what we think that we can do with AI. Again, I think uh, AI and the role of AI going forward is going to fundamentally change what we do at universities. And uh, we don't completely understand what the implications are yet, but we're working very hard to use AI to kind of unleash the creativity of our faculty so that we can execute faster, reach more students, make them more successful, um, and, and do that regardless of where the student might reside. Yeah, definitely an exciting time to be alive, let alone to be a student. That's that's all fascinating stuff. John, anything you'd like to add on top of that? I mean, those are great examples that Phil just went through. I, as a son of um, two educators, two public school teachers that <clears throat> then became professors and, and recently retired, I've seen this space through their eyes through most of my life. And it's fascinating now to be uh, kind of on the, I guess, the technology side of this, working with folks like Phil, describe what, where this space is going. Because for decades, if not century plus, uh, the system had to be married to a, a brick and mortar environment, quarters, semesters, lectures, et cetera. And you know, what Phil and others are now bringing is the technology can really liberate education, not just instruction everywhere, um, but also adjust to modality needs of different parts of the population. And I think what's most exciting about that is if we can actually do that as an entire ecosystem, we've proven, we, the system uh, of, of education has proven time and time again, to give people knowledge, it's fascinating to see what they'll do with it. And I think we're on, as Phil described, um, just the tipping point of what's possible now, uh, growing the category of higher education and then seeing what the world will will enable as a, as a function of that. And so it's, I think it's a great time to be in this space. Um, there's no place I'd rather be, but it's it's fun to hear innovators like Phil describe what they think is possible and how they're just scratching the surface and you know and how we can help. Undoubtedly. 
you know, once upon a time, you went to college and then you went about your career. You know, these days we hear a lot about older adults embracing continued education. And we've seen a lot of this in the marketing industry, especially, you know, at Advertising Week. To what would you attribute this rise of non-degree learning pathways? Phil, let's start with you. Well, um, uh, first off, I, I, I... Somewhat sheepishly, I'd say I, I attribute the rise of non-degree learning pathways to a failure of universities to uh, be as relevant as they need to be in economies that are changing very, very rapidly. Um, we have not been as useful to uh, the population, to middle class and other areas of the population as we need to be. Um, but it's also attributable to an absolute explosion of uh, a, 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 an explosion of knowledge in every area. Um, you know, if you got a marketing degree in 10 years and you have not continued to advance your knowledge about what marketing consists of, you are uh, you are dangerous. Uh, computer science, it's even worse. Um, and there are so many technical disciplines now are disciplines which require understanding of uh, underlying technologies uh, that that universities have been slow to keep up. You know, inside Ed Plus, uh, I have about 600 uh, people working uh, toward the ultimate success of our faculty and our students. I would say that 90% of them are in uh, professions are doing something that didn't exist in 2000. And so <laughs> if you graduated in 1995 uh, and you haven't advanced what you were doing, you're probably not employable in a unit like Ed Plus. Uh, now, having said that, you know, the very positive side is that universities are beginning to catch up. Uh, ASU, for example, launched an entire new realm of the enterprise. It's called the learning enterprise. And so now we divide the university into three important areas. There's the knowledge enterprise, which is basically focused on the application and advancement of research and discovery in all of its forms. There is the academic enterprise, which is the deans and the degree programs. But we also have now uh, an equal arm of the university called the learning enterprise, which is focused on all of the non-degree learning that needs to be met and uh, made by people at all aspects of their life and pathways into degree programs. And so we still think kind of foundationally, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that undergraduate degrees are economically important to people uh, on average, that getting an undergraduate degree in a discipline unlocks the keys to a whole lot of things. But it's also the case that there is need for upskilling that is not necessarily relate, related to degrees. There's need for continuous learning. There's need for lifelong learning. We have people now who are retired who want to come back and get a history degree or, or, or just find out more about World War II or something else. And so the learning enterprise is dedicated to that, that the fact that going forward, people at every stage of their life are going to have to learn something and that universities can be foundational to, to the success of what they need to uh, need to do to advance their lives. And John, what has Google's research uncovered as it relates to continued education? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Phil touched on this, I mentioned it a second ago, but I, I feel like 
these alternate pathways are actually an excellent opportunity to, to grow the category of higher education, not just for maybe learners that are pursuing a degree, but for those that already had it. I, uh, I'll, I'll relay a, a story here. I've got a, a coworker who um, went to a, a really reputable university, has her, her MBA, uh, recently applied for a job where um, she was looking to stand out. And she went back and got a certificate in a media discipline. Uh, hiring manager ended up hiring her, uh, came back to me and said, you know what? Sally uh, went and got herself certified in this area and that really stood out. <laughs> and as, as the story was being retold to me, I said, you know, wouldn't it be nice if Sally went back to her alma mater to get that certificate? And maybe Professor Phil had a course around, here's how you lead with that material. Here's how you present that material. Here's it. And so I think there's an excellent opportunity uh, for industry in this case and higher ed to participate together and give people um, both things. Like I, as a result of my aforementioned upbringing, I'm on team higher ed. So <laughs> I, I am rooting for this and, and in our you know, role of working at um, one of the biggest technology providers in the world, trying to hopefully foster more of these partnerships so that we can deliver on both. Um, the demand uh, and, and search for education in general, but specifically upskilling and reskilling continues to grow. And a lot of it is through these alternate pathways. And therefore, I think we've got an excellent opportunity to uncork what I think is most of the content already existing in a lot of our universities and get it into the right hands at the right time of folks. So and we talk about uh, a lot of these skills, as Phil mentioned, being embedded into, into degree programs. I think we can do a better job of that. And I also think we can do a better job of kind of creating a, a lifelong learning program where people who have degrees can come back and get the upskilling and reskilling at different career stations that they've got. And that's another exciting thing I'm looking forward to, to hopefully helping um, in the future as we go forward. We live in a very connected world, you know, far more so than we did 30 years ago. And we're very global as a result. You know, Google has emerged as you know, the leader in global search and is certainly leading the world in many other areas as well. When it comes to learning, is learning now international in scope as well? Phil, let's start with you. Uh, well, that, that's an interesting question. I will tell you that um, in higher education, uh, there is an explosion in demand for higher education. Uh, the OECD uh, estimated in 2015 uh, that there were about 160 million people uh, in higher education uh, who requested or demanded higher education. Wow. By 2030, in a 15-year period, that was going to go to 410 million. So that's an increase of over 150% in a 15-year period. Now, in the U.S., the demand increase probably by 2030 for public and private universities is going to grow three or four million students. In India, the increase between now and 2035 is going to be something in the low 60 millions. And so to put that in perspective, the increase in demand for higher education in India by 2035 is about three times the total capacity of public and private universities in the U.S. Now, it, my, my view is that's not just India's problem. That is a global problem. And uh, if we figure out, and again, we're partnering with other institutions, other companies, 
But if we can figure out how to provide a rigorous, high quality education in many different disciplines in a country like India, we will lower the cost dramatically for students in the US because you have to be efficient in order to meet a demand of, you know, a demand growth of 60 million people. You cannot possibly do it by building brick and mortar universities and you can't create faculty that fast. And so we'll have to get better at what we're doing. Uh, we'll have to get better at um, uh, leveraging faculty in order to reach more and more and more students and do it at a lower and lower per unit cost. But really, that's great. You know, faculty believe that more education is preferred to less. And if you ask them, would you rather impact 40 students or 4,000? They'd say 4,000, but how can I do it effectively and with high quality? And I think that the demands of the, the global increase in demand for higher education and partnerships with companies like Google is going to help us figure out ways to, to, to amplify the impact of faculty and their knowledge and their discovery on, you know, 10x the number of students that they can reach now. And John, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, Phil described it well, and actually I'll, I'll cite an example, uh, even in the U.S., just in terms of the scale dynamic that Phil's referring to. I was on, a, uh, no offense, Richard, a different podcast uh, <laughs> with Chancellor Milliken from the UT system, and he was saying their demographers are predicting that the population of the state of Texas will double by 2050. So to Phil's point, you can't just build, in their case, I think it would be double the amount of physical campuses there and, and, and kind of... Um, it's not re realistic, right? So you're going to have to lean into uh, the technology. And if we get it right, not just at home and abroad, again, it will enable great opportunity and we'll be able to deliver high quality learning um, across the globe. Um, Tori Patterson, who is the founder and CEO of Owl Ventures, um, for those who in the education system probably have heard of Owl Ventures, they're a venture capital firm that supported uh, companies like Baiju's Masterclass and a host of others around the world. Um, and his statement and a conversation I had with him recently was there is going to be a university that will abandon exclusivity in favor of delete, delivering elite education and become the world's university. And I would say um, ASU certainly has leanings toward that, which are, are exciting. And I think we're going to see more of that going forward. Again, some of the ideas and concepts that ASU has launched that Phil talked about are, are in the, uh, the ecosystem already. And I think the innovators are going to launch more of those, which will enable more opportunity uh, across the globe. So um, it's the beginning of that game as well, but technology enablement will help uh, deliver again, great content from the world's universities to more corners of it than ever before. Can I add one thing to that? Uh, first off, that's a really interesting comment, you know, about abandoning elitism. And then I said early on, the ASU, uh, our goal is to provide egalitarian access. That doesn't mean that it's not an either or proposition. There is plenty of space for the elite universities to continue to do what they do and what they've done very well for 300 years. Uh, Harvard and Columbia and MIT and Stanford can continue to be, you know, can continue to enroll classes of 1,200 or 1,400 entering freshmen and do a fantastic job of graduating a class of about the same size. 
But there's also the need for a university that provides what we refer to as egalitarian access to the broad swath of society uh, that would not otherwise have access to a really rigorous, uh, well-defined uh, uh, academic institution that's built, built around these concepts of faculty research and discovery. And that's what we aspire to be. It doesn't mean that the other places get pushed out. That's not true. It means that the demand requirements are such that some university has to step up and you and I would say universities have to step up in order to meet that demand or the U.S. higher education system is going to become irrelevant. For our last question, how do you see the higher education space evolving in the next, let's call it five years? And, and John, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said it before. I just really feel like we've got a great opportunity to grow the category of higher education and move ourselves um, inclusive of degrees um, as we've always had, but then also use the knowledge that's in our, our, our in our case, our, our nation's universities uh, and enable that knowledge to different corners of the world. So I think that's one. I think we will start to see more universities like ASU enable sort of these alternate pathways and give people lifelong learning. Uh, the, the concepts that are coming out um, around this, I think are, are fascinating. And I also think you will increasingly see um, higher education partnering with industry to make sure that, that learners are getting the real-time skills they need, um, not only for um, success upon graduation, but to hit the learning curve uh, as, as fast as possible upon employment. I think there's there's more and more need for that. Um, I don't think uh, corporate America is really interested in, in um, delivering the content on that. I think you're gonna see wanting to partner though on what are the skills we need right now and how can universities help deliver that at, at more scale, uh, deliver increasing relevance so that um, again, the best possible outcome for the employee uh, is delivered. And Phil, anything you'd add? Yeah, I, I, th I think that universities are going to be um, much more cognizant of the fact that up to this point, uh, they've really uh, delivered to the top 25% of the income quartile for the most part. Uh, and that means that, for example, if you were had the misfortune of being born in the bottom 25% of the income quartile or the parents are in the bottom 25%, you only have about a 10% chance of getting a, a university degree in the US. That is an incredible waste of human talent. And I think that as the landscape for universities becomes more competitive, there is a huge opportunity uh, to reach down into the lower levels of, the, of socioeconomic status and provide access to those students as well. And thereby, you know, completely enriching uh, the American uh, intellectual landscape and knowledge landscape and uh, industrial landscape. And so I think in the U.S. in the U.S. that'll happen. I think globally, um, the use of enabling technologies to be able to advance teaching and learning at scales that we, we, we have a hard time even imagining now is really going to accelerate. And it's going to accelerate because it's necessary. And then the final thing I'd say is that universities are going to be uh, increasingly focusing on non-degree and pathway degree coursework and making students successful in those areas because the need to continually update and recharge your knowledge 
that's it's it's going to accelerate at an increasing rate. Well, that's all the time we have. John and Phil, I appreciate you both taking the time to be on today and especially for your insights. Thanks so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts like this one, be sure to check out Advertising Week's growing network of audio programming at www.advertisingweek.com slash podcasts. Not every company can produce original video ads in half the time and at a fraction of the cost of traditional commercials, but not every company is quick frame by Mountain. Their solution hacks the video production process, funneling all the benefits of a massive creator marketplace into a hand-selected network of video creators who work alongside customer success teams to bring your brand's vision to life. Producing high-performing video ads at scale isn't expensive and time-consuming anymore. Or at least it isn't with QuickFrame. Visit QuickFrame.com to learn more.